I would like to speak to you today on the subject of social contract. Social contract is something from the disciplines of moral philosophy and political philosophy and was the language used by British and French philosophers John, uh, Thomas Hobbes, John Locke, and Jean-Jacques Rousseau in the 17th century. However, what it is speaking about is, an, is as old as mankind and has everything to do with life today, including in this time of the global COVID pandemic. Basically, social contracts starts from the assumption that in the state of nature, without political order, human life would be solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. To avoid this, free men contract with each other to establish political community, civil society, through a social contract in which they will gain security in return for subjecting themselves to an absolute sovereign, one man, or an, an assembly of persons. In other words, humans consent to abdicate their rights in favor of the authority of, in our case, a parliamentary government. The contract is that we cede authority in order to secure and guarantee certain rights, the right to life, the right to property or prosperity, the right to safety, and to guarantee our freedoms, even if these freedoms may be curtailed for the event of war or disasters. My interest in inviting you to reflect upon the social contract in relation to biblical paradigm is upon reflecting on certain lessons and challenges that have emerged in the wake of the COVID pandemic. As German Chancellor Angela Merkel has put it, pandemic rhetoric shows us how we imagine ourselves politically, not as mere populations, passive and subject to disease, but as publics ready to take action together. I believe that one of the things that has been severely challenged and laid bare these days is the idea of a social contract. It is, a, it is more apparent in the USA than it has been so far in Jamaica. And when we begin to challenge our own social contract in Jamaica, we will have different and more existential reasons to do so than they have in the USA, unless, of course, African-Americans there also begin to challenge their social contract. My central assertion is that a social contract, which is the foundation of civil society, political order, and the basis of the relationship between a people and their government, ought to be governed by an ideal, by some immutable values, transparency, open communication, not by coercion, but by collaboration. Every life and every person counts certain high priorities to which the society gives its assent. It is with this in mind that I want to share with you some elements of a type of social contract in the Biblical Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. The words 
I am reading are taken from chapter 27, verse 19. It says, Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And the people said, Amen. The book of Deuteronomy is a retrospective document. It is compiled as if it is a prospective document, but it is in fact retrospective. It is compiled after the aversion of a pandemic the Babylonian exile, when all their national institutions were destroyed, their people uprooted and deported, and their cities razed to the ground. Deuteronomy inquires into the question, what went wrong, and writes some guiding principle in the construct of a nation and a community and the building up of a people, what to do and what not to do. This chapter, Deuteronomy 27, lists some defining values, standards, and mores that are affirmed together in the most public and full-throated manner. These are the stands taken against indecency, against indignity, against inhumanity, and against injustice. They imply a pledge to build an inclusive society based on justice and equity, one protective of the dignity and affirmative of the humanity of all. The single expression I have chosen, curse is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow, is poignant and pivotal. It gets to the heart of the matter and gives us a litmus test of the society, of the type of society being built. Here are some lessons from this text as to what a social contract ought to produce, the ideals it ought to pursue for its community. Social contract ought to be based on a voluntary commitment of all for the protection of the dignity and the humanity of the most vulnerable of its members. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widows. Acknowledges that there are those who have fallen through the cracks. There are those who are left out and left behind by the mainstream of the economy and society. There are those operating in the shadows. There are those on the fringes that have no access and no resources with which to navigate the challenges that they are facing. Some are there in the shadows and on the margins and on the fringes because of political reasons. Some are there because of social reasons. Some are there because of financial reasons. It doesn't matter how they get there. This is not an exhaustive list. It is a list of a class of those who are easily denied justice, for whom justice is delayed and often inaccessible. This is the agenda of social contract. We do this so that none of our numbers will be left out, left on the wayside, left on the fringes, left in the shadows, left on the margins. This is why we build communities, so we can do some things as individuals for individual vulnerable people. This widow, that orphan, 
that stranger. But this is fundamentally a matter of fiscal priorities. It is a matter of public policy. It is the outcome of the social ethos that we are building. I think if we are honest, we would recognize that our society has never come to terms with its duty to the vulnerable and the at-risk population in need of social access and social protection. The fatherless is a crew that has been targeted that has never been targeted for fundamental inclusion. The street children are thought of as mere nuisance to be herded and discarded in some institution or some back of wall, never to be mainstreamed. In some respect, we are the community that mocks the disabled and laugh at people on the fringes. And when we bother And when we bother to treat with them, it is always as miscellaneous items on the budget. We are dubious in our commitment to the marginalized, and sometimes we are downright, downright cruel to them. Every now and then an administration emerges, a political movement that develops legislations and policies and fiscal prioritization of people in the shadows. When this happens, we never forgive that administration. We vilify its leaders and ridicule the initiatives. But that is what social contract is about, that every man may have his own vine and fig tree, and none shall make them afraid on God's holy mountain. So the next time we think about locking down a community, let us start with those who do not have, who hustle or beg every day in order to eat that day. Let us work our way from there. Let us think about the impact on them. Let us work on the protections for them so that we may protect their dignity and humanity. This is how to build a just and equitable society. But there is something else to the biblical paradigm. We, why must we include people in the shadows who have fallen through the cracks in our political and economic prioritization? I could tell you that we must do it because whoever robs the poor offends his maker, or that Jesus for our sakes became poor, and as much as we do it to the least of these, we do it to him, or that he went about doing good, he came to bring good news to the poor, and we should follow in his steps. Those are good points, but it is not the point that is made in this text. The point made in this text is that when you withhold justice from the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow, you bring a curse upon yourself. Our contract heaps curses upon itself if we dare to mistreat the vulnerable and the excluded and the despised among us. Deuteronomy 27 and 28 are a series of blessings and curse. The key word is if. If you do, you will be blessed. And if you do not do, you will be cursed. In chapter 28, it enumerates some of the curses if we fail to build an inclusive and equitable society that offers social protection and social inclusion for the vulnerable, and if we fail to become a society that is marked by decency and dignity and harmony. Listen to a few of the curses, it says. 
the Lord will send on you curses, confusion and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. The Lord will plague you with diseases until he has destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with wasting diseases, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. The sky over your head will be bronze, the ground beneath your feet iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. It will come down from the sky until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven, and you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on earth. Your carcasses will be food for all the birds and the wild animals, and there will be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will afflict you with boils of Egypt and with tumors, festering sores, and the itch from which you cannot be cured. From the perspective of the Deuteronomist, there is no pathway to viability or sustainability or economic and social mobility and flourishing as a people without a strategy of social inclusion and social protection. Without it, our best efforts are in vain. Our strategies will achieve little. The pandemic has exacerbated and deepened the social inequality in the world, especially in America and also here. It is calling for a new day in which people, not money, not economy, are placed at the center of the political calculation. We need to dig deep and work diligently toward that end. The Deuteronomy says that when you do, what will result from our social contract is as follows. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herd and the lambs of your flock, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on the barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord will bless you in the land he is giving you. Blessed are those who ensure justice for the foreigner, who ensure justice for the fatherless, who ensure justice for the widows. Amen. May the God of Amos and the God of Micah, Amos said, let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. May he be our God and our portion in these days. Amen. Still Hey, Garnet. Hi, Anna. Thank you very much for sharing that. I'm going to assume it was your sermon for today. I'm not sure. I will recommend, because um, I oftentimes get concerned when I get these um, 
voice note sent to me. I knew it was you because I know your voice, I know your style, I know something of how your mind works. Um, if there's a way that we could have an identifier as to who is speaking and even the date, and then um, in sharing, those markers would always be there so that people will know who um, is speaking and context and so on. I thought it was uh, absolutely brilliantly prophetic sermon and um, you hit all the right notes and I hope those of us that needed to be hit or nudged or prodded or even slapped may have received it in the way that it was meant so just want to tell you thanks I as always appreciate your erudition and your passion you know I'm always going to point out to you that as a woman listening to you speak and preach I could could feel excluded because of your continued use of exclusive language mankind and that kind of thing um, urging that there's a way that you rethink and ensure that we all feel included as you speak to us thank you again for sharing let me know if this is something that you're going to continue to share with us every sunday because i'd be happy to take the time to listen and also to share bless you as always all right cool anna i acknowledge completely my bad in the first part of the sermon i was borrowing heavily the 17th century language of the original moral philosophers um, Thomas Hobbes, John Locke, and Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And their language <laughs> included this very um, politically incorrect language. I, I was aware of it, and I also was aware that some of the Bible citation I needed to have replaced the masculine pronoun and um, with, with, you know, <clears throat> rather than say his for God just says, say God without using the pronoun at all. Um, so I acknowledge it and I am generally sensitive to it, but this was a faux pas. So I acknowledge the next time I'll do better. Morning, Doc. Just get a chance to listen to the sermon. Uh, like the message, sir. But with our political system, how can the government engage the people in our social contract theory? Bear in mind that from I've, from I've been born, it's two Jamaicas I know, you know, one for the upper and one for the lower class. With such stratification and with such implications, what can the, gov what can the policymakers more so do to ensure this idea and this novelty of social contract theory or social contract? there is already a social contract in place that's why we have a government this is calling for the social contract which is in place to produce social protection and social inclusion 